there's so much sex positivity in this world when it's done well. There's universal rules that are adhered to around the world to keep people safe because we are playing in edgier territory. We're playing with people's psyche. We're playing with people's body and pain in a way that there is inherent risk. Welcome to the Sensuality Academy podcast where I share tangible techniques to help you embody your femininity, enhance your sex life, and elevate your relationships. I'm your host, Eleanor Hadley, sensuality coach and founder of Sensual Yoga. Now let's unleash your inner sensualista. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Sensuality Academy podcast, a place where sex is far from taboo. I really believe that sexual expression can be so powerful and healing for all of us. But of course, there's a whole lot of shame and conditioning that we all need to peel away in order to meet our fullest sexual selves. This is why I'm so thrilled to share this epic interview with you today about all things BDSM and kink. Now, perhaps you're already kinky and love the world of BDSM. Maybe you're curious to learn more, but have some hesitations or even some judgments. We're going to dive into all of this in today's episode. I chatted with one of my favorite Instagram friends who I've never actually met in person, but I absolutely adore, Erin Kiner. Erin is a trauma-informed sexuality healer and coach, liberating women to experience their pleasure potential in all areas of life, including sex. She's also the host of podcast Sex and Healing, which I'm going to need you to check out immediately because it is life-changing. If you also want to do a little Insta-stalk while listening to today's episode, you can find her at Erin Kiner, that's at E-R-I-N-K-Y-N-A. Today, Erin and I spoke all about what BDSM actually is, the common misconceptions around BDSM, the healing potential that it holds, how to get started exploring the world of BDSM and consensual kink, all about the power dynamics and the role of the dominant and the submissive, the tools that we can all learn from the BDSM community, regardless of whether we're part of it or not, and so much more. I really, really encourage you to listen to this episode with an open mind if you notice that you've got some perhaps judgments coming up around the topic. I learned so much from Erin and I know that you will too. As always, if you enjoy the Sensuality Academy podcast, pretty please leave a rating and review so more people can learn how to embody their femininity, enhance their sex lives and elevate their relationships too. It would mean the absolute world. So thank you. And thank you for listening. And now here's Erin. Enjoy. Welcome to the Sensuality Academy podcast, Erin. It is such a pleasure to have you here. And I'm so excited for this conversation. It's going to be a juicy. So am I. Thank you so much. It's so awesome to share space with you again. Amazing. So let's get straight into it. Tell us what 
is BDSM? What does it even stand for? Eleanor, the biggest question to start off with. (laughs) We don't ease in gently. Yeah. Not at all. So BDSM is an acronym that kind of covers, uh, it's an umbrella term, I guess, for many, many different types of sexual expression. But that foundational acronym is made up of three smaller acronyms as well. So BD can stand for bondage and discipline. DS stands for dominance and submission and SM stands for sadism and masochism. So these are different aspects of sexuality that kind of all fall under this umbrella, but in a more, I don't know, my personal relationship with BDSM, I guess, or the experiences that I've had, it's almost like the shadow aspects of sexuality. It's something that is quite often misinterpreted as bad or wrong or evil or dark when that's so far from the truth. It's these maybe more taboo and less commonly known about sexual expressions, but they are not inherently bad. They're not inherently wrong. For me, it's almost like it's a forest that I was told not to go into. Like this is a a scary and dark place that only fucked up people go to and there must be something really wrong with you if you go in there and it's a sin and you'll never come out. And actually when I chose to go there, for me, it was the most authentic place I'd ever been. I felt like I could breathe. I felt the depth of truthfulness and vulnerability and intimacy that I'd been craving my whole freaking life that I hadn't been able to find before. So for me, it's this incredible exploration of self, of sexuality, of relating that is unparalleled in other sexual arenas. Oh my gosh, I love the way that you explain BDSM. I just I just love listening to you talk. You can talk about <laughs> like I don't know, bloody rocks and you know, yes, I can anything. actually. And, <laughs> you're probably really good. Um, but everything that you explore is so beautiful and the way that you share it is really, really fascinating and so well well articulated. So thank you for sharing about what BDSM is and I'm so intrigued to talk to you more about the like the healing power like you mentioned of BDSM and that this is a place that feels really really safe and comfortable and authentic for you I think that there are so many misconceptions about what BDSM is like you mentioned and for the people listening who have potentially only heard the acronym and seen Fifty Shades of Grey, that's all they know about BDSM and the misconceptions about, oh, well, it's just being tied up or, you know, these sort of very, very base level things. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about how the act of BDSM allows for this, you know, healing and this authentic expression of your sexuality. Yeah, that's a fantastic question. I definitely bring healing or I project healing onto this realm because that's who I am inherently. I am a healer. Mm. So Mm. if someone isn't looking for that, it needn't be a healing experience. So that's one of the things I like about it. Like if we talk about a form of bondage known as shibari, which is Japanese rope bondage, it's an ancient art form, in fact, you're using a rope to tie someone and tie someone in decorative and sensual ways. And like the rope is just a rope. It's 
<laughs> is the most common thing that probably everyone has lying around in their house somewhere. But we get to transform that rope into a tool for profound connection and intimacy and eroticism and healing if we want to. So it's kind of what we bring to our sexuality in general is part of ourselves. So I have found it an incredibly healing space. And I certainly would use that lens to look at other people and say, it's been a healing experience for them too, but they might not have had that intention when they stepped foot into this world. So for me, I don't think I recognize that I've been kinky since I was very young and some of my first sexual explorations were kinky. I then took on a lot of self-judgment and a lot of projected judgment from other people, thought it was bad and wrong, shoved it right down to the bottom of my psyche. And so when it started bubbling back up and out again, I had so much fear around it and so many triggers, so many misunderstandings around it. But really what it allowed me to do is have this really somatic and visceral experience of parts of myself that I hadn't met before. So there's something in BDSM that we would call erotic irony. And it's this ability to take an experience that in our daily waking life, we don't want and we would reject and we turn it into something erotic because we've done it in a consensual and pre-negotiated way. So an example of that is humiliation. Most of us probably walk around the world trying desperately not to feel humiliated, not wanting to be witnessed in a scene that's humiliating for us. But humiliation kink within BDSM is very, very popular. So we might like humiliation and degradation are pretty closely tied together. So we might not want to walk down the street and have someone scream out that we're a whore. But in this agreed upon negotiated environment to be called a whore might be the sexiest thing in the world to be called my little whore to get on your knees and you know do as you're told and you're like oh <laughs> all of a sudden this experience that in another environment would be abusive becomes part of the erotic power so I have found this opportunity to meet parts of myself that I've been rejecting for so long and actually enjoy being in that energy. So one of the biggest, most profound moments I had of that was with my own worthlessness. And I feel like I'd been fighting against worthlessness my whole life and trying so hard to feel worthy and having this really deep wound around unworthiness. And when I was in a sexual environment with someone that I deeply loved and respected, which for me is a huge precursor to BDSM. That's what allows us to experience the irony because without the love and the respect and the negotiation, as I said, it's abuse. So I was in this scene and I let those feelings of worthlessness come up and I was afraid. I was honestly afraid to feel those feelings. And when I felt them and realized that my partner still desired me and loved me and was fully present with me and like, you're seeing the part of me I'm always trying to hide and you still desire me there was fucking relief. Like I was like, oh my God, this is a thing I've been fighting so hard in my life not to feel this thing. Oh my God, don't bring me back out. Can I just like sit in this space of like complete acceptance of the energy of worthlessness? And so as I integrate that experience outside of the scene, I'm not afraid anymore. I can walk through the world without such desperate fear to not feel worthlessness because I'm like, oh yeah, I felt it. It was hot. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So that's how I see it to be healing. That's one a kind of general way. And there's other ways that it can be used as a very specific somatic tool 
for healing, which is a whole nother conversation that goes a bit beyond BDSM 101. And of course, I'd be happy to talk about that at any time. But, you know, like any somatic therapy, it has the capacity to really, really heal us. That's so beautiful. I love that shift in perspective, that it is not this, you know, sinful, like you said, you know, out of the box thing, but it actually can be used for this beautiful healing process to find those shadows within us and actually utilize them. That's such an interesting way to look at it. And with that comes more power. If part of us is segregated or fragmented off, then we're blocking the fullness of our personal power. So as we integrate our shadow in whatever process, whether that's BDSM or shadow work with a therapist or whatever it might be, we actually gain more personal power that comes with us through the rest of our life as well. So that's why I love it because I think it's just such an expansive space to to explore ourselves in all the ways that society has told us we shouldn't. You know, I saw some of your recent Instagram stories about the sexual conditioning that we have and how many of us have been told that it's bad and wrong to be a sexual woman at all. And what I found through my personal experience as BDSM and the people that I choose to engage with in BDSM is that it's almost they don't want the pretty, perfect, conditioned parts of me that I might want or historically have tried to show a partner, you know, like just wanting to be desirable, just wanting to be sexy and attractive. And in BDSM, they're like, "Uh uh-uh, girlfriend, we want all the parts that you don't show anyone else. Take us to that place where, you know, like when nothing matters and you can you can be so consumed by eroticism that you might look the ugliest you've ever looked in your life. You've got eyes rolling in your head. You're pulling your face and making sounds that you never (laughs) imagined that you're so consumed by that eroticism. That's what they want. And what a refreshing feeling to feel so desired on every level and particularly the parts of us that have been denied or ignored. Oh my gosh. That just sounds like magic. You know, I think that so many people do really struggle with that. Like, oh, I need to be perfect in order to be loved. And this is an experience that I've had as well. Like, oh, okay, well, the moment that I'm not super shiny, Mm -hmm. you don't want me. You don't want Mm -hmm. all of me. And how beautiful to really feel that true desire and acceptance and respect and love for all of you in like your multifaceted brilliance and not just that one projected version of, you know, sexy. And I want to put a disclaimer on that because I think this world is more intense in general. And what I find is that it kind of tends to draw in the people that are intense and it feels like we've found our place. Like we can be all of us. If you identify as a too much woman and have ever ever felt like you're, you're too emotional, you're too sexual, you're too much, this is the world where all of that is accepted and that bigness is welcomed. But because of that intense nature of BDSM, the good side is more intense and the shadow side is more intense also. So it has this reputation of attracting you know shadowy things and not good things and it's absolutely possible like it is really really necessary that we have great discernment and healthy boundaries and ability to communicate so that we can choose healthy choices in that world so what I'm portraying here is a very very positive healing side of BDSM and I've been able to create that but I just don't want anyone walking in there naively expecting everyone to share the views that I'm sharing today But you can have that view, you can have that preference, you can have that desire and you can go and create that experience in that world. But it's almost 
like there's so much sex positivity in this world when it's done well. There's universal rules that are adhered to around the world to keep people safe because we are playing in edgier territory. We're playing yeah. with people's psyche. We're playing with people's body and pain in a way that there is inherent risk. So there's structures within BDSM to make it safe for us. And those structures are so empowering and, again, translate to every other area of your life. Like it is so necessary to use your words in BDSM. You have to be able to verbally express your boundaries, your needs and your wants. And so many people can't do that. I couldn't do that. The words would be stuck in the back of my mouth. I could feel them wanting to come out, but the shame and the confusion and the judgment in my mind stopped me from confidently even speaking up for myself. My conditioning of being the good girl and trying to please everyone and not upset everyone would stop the words from coming out of my mouth confidently. And so this world has given me this safe place to, to expand that, to feel very comfortable expressing my sexual desires and my needs and my limits. And again, how does that benefit every single area of your life that you can express your needs and your boundaries so much more confidently? I think that there's something really beautiful about BDSM that, you know, if, even if you're not interested necessarily in the world of BDSM or kink, I think that there's so much that this world and community can teach us in you know, other forms of sex and, and as you said, in everyday life, um, I think that there's so many valuable tools and I'd love to sort of explore, explore that a little bit more because like you're talking about communication, clear communication is a really foundational element of safe consensual BDSM and I know that there's a lot of other tools like aftercare that we've explored mm -hmm. before as well. I'd love you to share with us a little bit more about all of these tools and yeah, resources, I suppose, in the world of BDSM that that we need to, to know about. Absolutely. And I think that you just highlighted a really relevant point and another really common misconception is BDSM is not necessarily about sex. Right. A lot of people think that these things have to involve sex and for so many people in the BDSM community, it's not. It can be about intimacy and it can be about physical contact, but it does not by any means have the assumption that that also includes sex so that's a fantastic way for people to experience this world again to heal and you know if they've had a lot of non-consensual sexual experiences if they feel like something has been taken from them so many times you can go into this realm and negotiate and say I don't want this to be sexual and people say okay no problem mm -hmm. like it's absolutely yeah. fine for it not to be sexual so for some people if it's about sensation and it's about mental intimacy or the mental relief that comes from being submissive and letting someone else take the lead for a while it absolutely doesn't need to be sexual so that's a fantastic freedom that many of us haven't had when we're used to you know sex as an exchange the commerciality of sex two of the acronyms that we use to generate safety that should be adhered to around the world wherever you are around the world the first one is ssc which stands for safe sane and consensual so that means that what we're doing, we've taken adequate safety precautions. So that might include using a condom. If you're potentially, if there's a risk of breaking the skin through an impact scene or something like that, that you know that you're in a healthy and clean environment. It can also talk about emotional and psychological safety and what you need, which will lead us into aftercare, which we'll also mention. 
So sane then implies that we're consenting to what we're doing with our full consciousness. So we wouldn't be performing this when we're really drunk, which again is very, a lot of people actually need a lot of alcohol to feel comfortable sexually. And so then how does that change their ability to consent and what they're consenting to? So within BDSM and many of the clubs around the world, there might be a two drink limit before you're asked not to play so that you can keep your full faculties knowing that as I said there's more edge and more risk and then finally consensual so that means that we've negotiated and said what would you like to experience and what are your limits and boundaries and you know what I might say is like if you and I are playing together Eleanor and we I feel a great sense of safety with you is that I might say yeah I'm actually open for some penetration but Personally, what I'm going through in my personal life right now, I experienced a sexual assault recently and I know that if I was with a male partner, I'd be saying I'm not available yeah. for any kind of penetration. So to to be able to consent and negotiate each and every scene, knowing that we change every scene, the environment, the stress that we're under changes, the, the more love and respect that we have with some of the deeper bond means that maybe we can go deeper and deeper into that forest than we've been before or we've been really deep in the forest and this time... I'm just not in the mood for that or I'm not available for that. And all of that is really welcomed and accepted. So we have another acronym called RAC, which is Risk Aware Consensual Kink. So this is more so what they recognised was that SSC wasn't complete enough because what we do in PDSM is not always safe. We can sometimes recognise something like breath play where people are choosing to use asphyxiation to create heightened eroticism and more intense orgasms is not safe so how do we tick the boxes of safe sane and consensual if we're going to be choking each other and like limiting someone's oxygen and potentially that's a deadly experiment if it goes wrong so risk aware consensual kink was a kind of more refined understanding of consent to say okay we know we are taking risk in some of these things that we're doing but we're doing that with a great awareness of what we're doing and we're still consenting once we know what these risks are So you'll find those two acronyms floating around in the BDSM communities a lot. But probably my favourite, favourite thing that I've learned from BDSM is aftercare. Oh, my gosh. So powerful. Yeah, my friends used to, they were like, we're going to make stickers that say I'm just here for the aftercare. (laughs) I love that. I would buy a T-shirt. Same. (laughs) And a key ring and everything. Just plaster that on everything that I have. So aftercare, again, is this amazing concept that we can transfer to every single area of our life. And at first, one of my personal triggers around this was, why the fuck are we doing anything that requires aftercare? Why would we, the world is such a violent place. Why would we choose to bring more violence in? Like, why are we doing things that people need care from? And the first Dom that I was connecting with said to me, Erin, every vulnerable exchange needs aftercare. We offer aftercare to our clients without question. Every day, given that the world is in the state that it is right now, every day I wake up and I think, which of my friends am I going to check in with today? If I know that a friend has reached out to me saying that they're having a tough day yesterday, if one of them went on a date with a previous partner where things are a bit treacherous, if one of them is having some negotiations in their relationship, their polydynamics, the next day I'm always going to be like, hey, babe, how's your heart today? You know, that's aftercare. It's to say... We have stepped into a vulnerable and intense circumstance with our sexuality and how can we moderate the experience back out? So aftercare is extremely necessary when we're playing with pain because we should talk about pain in general actually, but the body is releasing hormones and chemicals. 
So it's not, if you just straight off the bat got a hard slap on the butt, it's going to hurt and you'll probably be like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Why are you doing that to me? But if you do a spanking in a way that includes warm up, that includes some like, you know, stroking of the area to build up some heat, some gentle tapping to warm up and you get into something more intense and by the time you get a decent slap, the body's actually already responded to that warm up and it started pumping out hormones and chemicals to say, oh, I've got a bit of sensation here and I'm going to protect myself in some ways. And then all of a sudden that mighty slap on the butt is a very pleasurable sensation and not an extremely painful one. And it's because of those hormones and chemicals. So if we've heightened the body's chemical state in that way, then we also need to be very aware of how to bring ourselves back down to normalcy and not experience a drop or a crash on the other side. So that uh, applies to physical intensity, but it's also the mental and emotional intensity that we can experience in these realms, especially if we're pushing our boundaries, especially if we're going into mental territory that we haven't been before and shadow aspects of ourselves and parts of ourselves that have been so clouded by shame from society. If we're going to go there, then it leaves us very emotionally and mentally fragile. And aftercare is this amazing opportunity to reconnect and to, you know, if I've gone into that place where I thought that you weren't going to desire me and I had to face all of that fear of abandonment or whatever it might be, and then at the end you still want to hold me gently and stroke my skin and cuddle me and give me that assurance. And if you're a top or a dominant and you've expressed pain to a woman, if you have given her a beating, so to speak, which society has told you never, ever hit women, but here you are consenting, you're agreeing to it, then sometimes that top really has to sit with that and say, is that okay? And they need that reassurance as well. So it's this beautiful opportunity to soothe the heart, soothe the mind, soothe the body and and kind of reintegrate back into our daily life. It's a very transcendent space that we can access through BDSM. So it's just, I don't know, when I'm in that bubble, when I'm in that intense connection, nothing in the universe exists but me and you. Like it's so profound that our connection is so overwhelmingly strong that I don't know that the rest of the world exists. And so we've formed this bubble and aftercare is just this time for the bubble to gently, gently, gently dissolve and to just bring us back. And you start becoming a little bit aware, especially if it was in a public play space and you're like, whoa, there's people around. (laughs) There's people (laughs) watching me in that, you know, beautiful Shabari scene. And then you're like, oh, I need a bit of water someone will give you some water and I just need a bit of food to ground my body or to like get a bit of sugar back in my body. And, you know, you just feed each other. It's just such a beautiful, nourishing thing. And so aftercare could be really quite big and structured and aftercare might just be a sweet little cuddle just to check in that we're okay and not to create that sense of intense disconnection after such an intense connection. I really, really love that. And I really think that aftercare is such a huge gift that the BDSM community has given all of us, regardless of if we are having kinky sex. You know, um, I did an episode on this recently and I love your visual of it is a bubble that you create when you're having sex, when you're connecting with someone. And rather than that just being simply popped by someone just like going like, okay, cool, I'm done. And they leave and you're like, oh my gosh. And you feel abandoned or, you know, so many different things that can make you feel like that bubble has been burst. I just love that visual of that bubble just slowly sort of coming back in and dissolving, taking that time after sex, after a scene to 
kind of just ground back in Mm -hmm. and come back home um, to yourself, to your partner, to sort of be aware. I think it's really, really beautiful and just such a powerful and important um, thing for all of us to do regardless. Absolutely. So something that I wanted to ask you more about is the different sort of terminology. So some people listening might not know um, when you're talking about top and dominant, the sub, uh, switch, what are all these terms? And then I also want to ask a little bit more about kink, but yeah, let's talk about the terms first. I have too many questions. We could have a dictionary for how many terms there are in this world, but let's look at the most basic ones. So when we're in a power exchange, that would usually imply dominance and submission that someone's taking the lead and someone is following. So in every single relationship in our life, there's power exchange. (laughs) Someone's always taking the lead in every single dynamic that we're in, but it's often non-consensual. It's often someone, and I look at past relationships of mine too, and it's like, I know when I wear the pants, I know when I get my way, and I knew when someone else was wearing the pants. You know, that's the same kind of concept. So dom and sub or dominant and submissive is a label that we can use to identify who's taking the lead and who's following when we exchange that with top and bottom a top is the person that is performing the action and the bottom is the person that's receiving so it doesn't necessarily contain the mental and emotional power exchange that we would expect from dominance and submission so that's something like I would like to get tied in ropes today and I'd like to experience that. And someone else says, yep, I know how to tie ropes. I'll do that for you. And we go into an experience of just rope tying and it didn't have that psychological component that we would experience in Dom and Sub. Master and slave is another term that would be used to identify those polarities. But within the community, master and slave can hold a lot of, it can be politically incorrect to use the word slave it's still commonly found but it can be far more respectful to avoid the use of the word slave but it does imply a slightly different kind of power exchange from dominance and submission and so when when I was with my previous partner we were in a 24-7 power exchange relationship I very much wanted my submission to be about Erin I wanted to bring the elements and the qualities that Aaron brings into this relationship. Plus, I wanted to feel his desire for Aaron. Yeah. In a slave dynamic, it's not about Aaron at all. It's about actually becoming nameless, preferenceless, like within the consented thing, privilegeless. So... Mm-hmm. The people who really identify with that actually love the fact that their entire personality dissolves into nothingness. This is where my worthlessness experience came from, was playing in the energies of master-slave. And I remember speaking to my partner and like kind of going through this mental struggle and a good dominant knows that this is part of the journey and knows and is very happy to provide the space to talk through and to help you understand what kind of comes up. And so in this space, I was like, you know, my soul wants to be present with you. My soul, Aaron, essence wants to be there. And he said, yes, of course, baby, that's very you. And I was like, is there some people who want to be a slave? And he said, to the same degree, it brings them just as much relief and joy and peace 
that submission brings to you. So it's a slightly different flavor. It's not necessarily better. You know, I think for anyone that identifies as an overachiever, we like to think, okay, I'm going to go to the, and I'm going to be the very best of this. And if I'm going to identify as a submissive, I'm going to be the best, most intense submissive. And so maybe they think (laughs) I've got to be a slave, you know, I've got to get to that point. Mm -hmm. And it's just not true. Like to be the best submissive is to actually really respect our boundaries and to know our limits and of course to be the best within that but to never push ourselves into something that doesn't feel right or that we feel that someone would want from us even though we're not completely certain so that's where master and slave kind of fits into things now i think you brought up some others do you remember what else that you mentioned there any of the other words switch oh so a switch i'm a little bit switchy myself switch is someone that can play on both sides of that polarity on both sides of the slash it's someone who it can enjoy and be fulfilled and nourished by the act of submissiveness and someone who also is nourished and desires the act of dominance. So when we look at the population, they say that somewhere around like 52, 54% of men would identify as dominant. And so roughly half and half would identify as submissive. When we look at the female population, if we're looking at simple gender binaries, there's yeah. only about 8% of women that would identify as dominant, about 17 that uh, identify as switchy, and then the majority of them would identify as submissive. So that puts us in a uh, statistically unbalanced environment. <laughs> there are not enough people that naturally identify as dominant, especially if you are a male submissive looking for a female dominant. They're quite hard mm-hmm. to come by. So when I think about my own switchy nature, I'm very assertive in my natural life and very much the leader in like without question people come to me for leadership people love to get in under my wing and feel safe they're like oh Erin's got it Erin will help us Erin will know the answer to this so when it comes to my sexuality when I get that opportunity to no longer be the leader and I have someone that I trust to be a better and stronger leader than I am who can truly hold my full capacity oh my god I love submissiveness I love it it touches me on a level that nothing in my life ever has so I need to have those submissive needs met I need to have my cup full before I can actually start playing in my switchy side and in terms of dominance I can be very very good I know exactly what it takes to to lead a partner into submission and to make them feel safe and to like consume their energy in that way but it's not something that deeply nourishes me. So I can't sustain it for long periods of time. There's also, we're getting a little bit complex here. (laughs) We often think that the submissive is the one that's receiving the sensation, like we mentioned would be a bottom and a top. But actually as a submissive, I can perform quite a dominant act, but it's an act of service and an act of submission towards my dominant. So if I had a male partner and we're exploring pegging, there's a lot of people that automatically think for a man to receive any kind of anal play is submissive. But actually he can say, I want this pleasure and I want you to perform this on me. And I can say, okay, so now I'm the one that's taking the lead in the scene, so to say, so to speak, but I'm not actually the one holding the dominant energy. He's still the one leading things. He's still the one directing the way to go. So it's, I know when I first started getting into this world and I started learning all the language and like that submissives can be collared which is almost like a engagement ring for a dominant to offer you a collar and it represents this Mm. level of commitment and prior to that that you can be under consideration and like there was just so much language Mm -hmm. to learn that I was so confused by 
it's helpful to a degree because within the community it helps them express themselves but as a newbie walking in it can just be so overwhelming and you're like what does that mean and why did someone say that and am I not meant to do that yet because I don't blah 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 and it all just gets a bit too much so I would say from the basic fundamental level you may already have some impulses or desires that would indicate to you whether you would like to experience maybe some fantasies I usually ask people to to think about what are those fantasies when you're self-pleasuring and you can't get yourself over the line and you really want to get yourself to orgasm and you just where does your mind go (laughs) what are those fantasies that we really have to reach for in those times and do those fantasies contain elements of being overpowered or being consumed or being ravished or do they contain elements of overpowering and ravishing there will be little clues already inside of us that might indicate where we might show up on that spectrum and then we can start to experience that but quite often what happens is that you start and you get so excited by it. You get, they call it sub frenzy or sub swoon. You're just like, oh my God, I want everything. <laughs> like, let me do everything. Let me try everything. Like that. You just get so excited by that realm and you really want to moderate and pace yourself to make sure you're making good choices and discerning with good partners. But what quite often what happens is like, you do get to the point where you're like, I want to experience more. I don't want this journey to end. And then you'll start branching into things that never in a million years did you think that you'd want or like. And you do it and you're like, wow, that was the hottest thing I've ever experienced. Like humiliation and degradation. I would have sworn black and blue. I never want someone to speak to me like that sexually. Like why on earth would I want to be humiliated? And now it's one of my favorite. It's crazy the things that you learn about yourself in this realm when it comes from that place of love and respect. I think one of the the key things was that I had previously said, okay, these kinks, these sexual acts, they're okay. These ones, they're... uh, they're not too bad, but they're okay. These ones, you must be so fucked up. They're so bad and wrong. If anyone's doing those ones, they're bad. So I'd created a hierarchy. But really, when you remove that and you put it all on a level playing field and you say, it doesn't mean anything about who you are. It does not tell you that you're fucked up. We don't get to choose where our eroticism formed. We don't know why our eroticism formed around certain things. It just is. And when you're in this space of unconditional love and acceptance of yourself and others, then you just get to play on this, go, wow, there's eroticism there for me and I didn't even realise, whoa, you started pushing that button inside me and I, whoa, there's something under that for me. So to reduce all of the judgement, any idea of what it means about who you are if you like these things and just see it as a playground, you will find the most fascinating, amazing things about yourself that you never dreamed you would find. I think that that's such a such an interesting way of thinking about it because there is this sort of hierarchy I think that people who maybe aren't in the BDSM world you know like in I hate to call it like regular sex but like you know people talk about you know spanking and choking and you know maybe being tied up like these sort of things is like light you know like the maybe it's like step one or just not even considered necessarily BDSM but Um, it's nice that you sort of see it as this big level playing field of there's all these different types of kinks and something that I wanted to ask you a little bit more about is you know the difference between BDSM and kink is BDSM like the umbrella term for all all of these acts that are kinky acts within 
this space and what sort of kinks, I guess, are generally explored within the world of BDSM? So what I would also put into this little thought word exploration is also the word fetish. Mm. So yes, it is hard to have a definitive answer of what is what because people come to relate to those words in their own individual ways. So some people say BDSM is the umbrella that kink and fetishes fall under. Other people might say kink is the umbrella that BDSM falls under. So kinks tend to be a sexual a desire or a preference, a sexual preference that we have that is outside of the norm. And a fetish traditionally, if you look at the dictionary term, tends to point to where people have sexualized things that are not inherently sexual. So a fetish might be feet or latex. People don't inherently say latex is a sexual thing, but when you have a latex fetish, it's insanely sexual. It's insanely erotic. The sensation, the sound, the smell of latex creates huge erotic responses for people who have that fetish. So someone might feel a little bit kinky and say, yeah, I like getting spanked, but don't want to play in the dominant and submissive game. They're not really interested in calling themselves a submissive or being owned by a dominant or getting a collar. They just like spanking or they might like some sort of role play, like a nurse role play, you know, like I've got, I've got this nurse that's going to come and like inherently that is a power exchange. It's someone in a position of power who shouldn't be performing sexual acts on you, but you're going to go there. So it's taboo, but they might not really say, I'm not a sadist. I'm not a masochist. I'm not into discipline. I'm not into submission, but I have these little sexual preferences. So all of these words essentially can be exchanged. You know, people might say that I've got a fetish for spanking and someone else might say I've got a kink for spanking and someone else might say I'm really into BDSM because I like spanking. So there's no right or wrong essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. So interesting to yeah hear the terminology and I I can see how people would get just overwhelmed with all the different terms so for someone who's like okay I think that I might be interested in BDSM but they might be feeling a little bit overwhelmed where where do they get started so this is the good thing is that there are BDSM communities all around the world even me living in Bali in a Muslim federal government where sex is basically outlawed we have a kink community it's underground but it's there So around the world, we have access to communities and communities are fantastic because they help uphold a level of safety. Communities will come together and essentially vet other members to make sure that these people are coming from the right place, are following the rules. You know, if someone breaks those rules as part of a community, there would be consequences for that. So there's definitely people out there online in particular, especially if you're using dating apps or something where you meet someone and they're like, yeah, I'm a dominant and I'd love to degrade worthless whores, which is someone that requested my profile recently. I was like, what on earth about my profile makes you think I want that? Like that has just got misogyny written all over it in my opinion. You know, this is someone who's, well, this is only my judgment and opinion, obviously, but under the guise of BDSM, is allowed to perform their misogyny. 
it didn't feel like that was coming from a place of respect. It didn't feel like that was checking in with my boundaries and what I want and why I might want those things. It was just someone saying, I've traveled the world and this is what I want. I'm looking for worthless whores to degrade. And I was like, delete and block. Like, (laughs) dude, you are not my kind of partner at all. So unfortunately, there are some kind of rogue people like that, you know? Who are doing it for the wrong reason? Yeah, well, I think that like a, a lot of people's probably concern around BDSM is that just hidden misogyny, is that just hidden abuse, like you mentioned, and obviously, as we've discussed, the the foundation is this love and respect and communication and consent. But for people who are brand new, who may not know, you know, the actual ins and outs and the foundations of BDSM, I imagine that you can get yourself into situations where someone is just being an asshole. And so that's why I would always recommend entering this world through a community because that means that people are going to be keeping an eye out for you. It's going to be people who you can talk to and ask questions from and have, if you've got a concern, that there's someone experienced that you can check in with and say, hey, is this a red flag? I'm not feeling good about it. Is it just that I'm at my edge and I'm crossing my boundaries or is this genuinely a red flag and someone I don't want to play with? And there'll be people who, who I think when you enter this world, the majority of people have such a love and respect for it. They really want to communicate that what we're doing is positive and they want to help you come and receive all the goodness in this world. So there's always someone to talk to, which is amazing. So communities will have these events called a munch And that's a very vanilla social event at a public place where everyone's in their normal clothes, where there's nothing sexual about it. It's an opportunity to genuinely meet and connect with other people in the community and for the community to vet new people. So I would always recommend attending a munch. And munches can be found probably the easiest way to find your local community is through a website called fetlife.com. So F-E-T-life.com. But this comes with a warning. FetLife is everything. It's the darkest corners of this world as well as all the nice social community stuff. So it's important that you've got strong boundaries. It's important that you know what you're looking for and that you're aware that if you go wandering in FetLife, you may come across stuff that you really disagree with, that really triggers you, that's not your thing. But we do have a premise that we do not kink shame. Just because it's not for me doesn't mean that I therefore judge or shame someone else for their own personal sexual expression. So when you go into FetLife and you create a profile and you don't ever have to have your name shown anywhere, you know, you can create a sense of anonymity, which is important for a lot of people in this world because of the way that the general public misconceive it. So I have heard, sadly, of stories of uh, custody battles between parents and using their sexual expression against them as a reason of why they're not a fit or healthy parent, which is inherently wrong because someone's sexual expression and doing it in the right way is probably signs of great boundaries as a parent and great ability to communicate as a parent. It doesn't make someone a bad person. So anonymity is also highly respected in the community if that's what someone needs. I live and breathe it 24-7. That's part of my own personal integrity is that I do not wish to hide who I am in any way and I'm lucky that I'm in a life where I don't feel consequences. If someone came from a religious background or upbringing, if someone has a workplace where their job is dependent on certain things, then 
your anonymity yeah. will be respected. So you can go into FetLife, you can search for your area and you can look for groups. And for here, for example, there's a group called BDSM Bali. And when you join that group, they'll list, you can reach out to members and leaders of the community. They'll list events that are upcoming and that's a fantastic way to step in. I would say for the majority of us, we have a kinky friend, whether we know it or not. There's probably someone already in your life who could then hold your hand and gently lead you in. That's what I needed. There was no fucking way I was going to show up at an event where I don't know any, like <laughs> triggered Aaron back in the day was like, totally. I can't do that. And I knew I had to be in a good space personally. I couldn't be in an emotionally vulnerable place when I first started stepping into this world. I needed to feel safe and protected and lucky I met someone and she was like, why don't we go together? Come along to this munch. And so I went along mm. and it was just a really nice introduction. So if you can get a first-hand introduction into a community, that's obviously going to be ideal. But if not, then FetLife is a great way to find out about those communities and find out about those events. And from there, once you start to develop that sense of safety, then perhaps you progress or you find someone that will create a scene for you and help you understand your preferences. And, you know, it can go in all sorts of different ways. I kind of entered through a rope jam, which is a shibari the rope tying experience of being in a class with everyone fully dressed and we're practicing tying knots, we're practicing different ways. And so that felt yeah. like a night, it was still confronting. I was still shitting myself. I still didn't know what to wear or what was going to happen or ah, your brain just goes to the extreme and then you get there <laughs> and it's the most G rated, comfortable social thing where everyone was so welcoming and nice and, mm. you know, I started by tying my own leg so I didn't have to feel any restriction from anyone else. I didn't have to feel like I was putting my control in someone else's hand. I got to experience the rope and the bondage on myself. And then my friend and I were like, oh, should we try this on each other now? And it just was such an easy entry into the world. But I think we have these preconceived ideas that it's so big and so scary and so extreme. I love that. I think that's a really, really um, important way to sort of ease yourself mm. into it something that I did want to ask as well just in terms of terminology for anybody listening who is confused about the word scene can you explain a little bit more about about that yes so a scene kind of has three components it has the pre-scene which is our negotiation and consent conversation yeah. it has the middle of the scene which is when we actually choose to engage with each other in that way and then we have aftercare or the end of scene. So uh, it doesn't always need to be a scene as a standalone thing. But the thing I like about that actually is it makes me think of acting. Totally. When you go, you've got a scene. And we almost do go into this role play of I get to put on a different mask for a moment. I get to step into a different archetype of Erin. It's still Erin, but it's this different version of myself. So by it being a scene and pre-negotiating consented to we know when we're in it and we know when we're out of it but when I was in a 24-7 power exchange relationship that then bled into every area of our life and he could look at me oh and I knew what that meant <laughs> I knew I was being put in my place I knew he desired me I knew like that I could feel the dominance all the time or we would have these protocols and rules so like anytime we we're in public I had to have my feet on him so if we're sitting in the cafe I would put my feet in his lap or on his feet like we we're always in that affectionate you know like and no one looking at us would understand what it means but it was a protocol for us to indicate this is a, a gentle expression of my dominance right now by you you must put your feet on me mm -hmm. or by wearing a collar when the collar goes on it can be an indication the scene is beginning 
But then when you're in a relationship and if this is something you want to explore in your existing relationships, it would be exactly like how you engage your sexuality now. It's pretty aware of when we're starting to move into that territory and you're pretty aware of when you move out of it, but you might not necessarily call it a scene. You wouldn't, it's highly unlikely that the next day you'd talk to your girlfriend and say, oh my God, I had the most amazing scene last night. (laughs) (laughs) But in BDSM, we probably would. Yeah. We would probably say, oh my God, I experienced this scene. So it's just a, a terminology that we use that helps identify when we're in that space and when we're not. Yeah, yeah. And I imagine that, you know, that negotiation, especially for, you know, certain kinky acts that you're in sexual acts that you're actually going to take part in, you've had that communication beforehand, like, what are you desiring? What are your boundaries? What are we planning to do? And all of those things that go on. Yeah. And another key component of that negotiation is also choosing safe words. Mm. So safe words are a way of communicating in scene that we're either doing okay, that we're nearing an edge and we need to just be mindful or slow down, or that we absolutely must stop what we're doing right now and revert back to normal. So the most common safe words that are used are a traffic light system. So it would be green to say, yep, I'm all good, keep going. Orange to say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, this might be my limit now. Or it might be red to say, uh-uh, got to stop. It might be emotional trigger. It might be a mental trigger. It might be a physical pain that you're experiencing. It might be a fire alarm going off at the neighbor's house. Like, okay, red, stop. And we all know what that means. So in the middle of a scene, let's use spanking for an example again. Someone might be bound in some way. Maybe you've got your wrists tied together and you're on all fours on the bed and you've got your ass in the air and someone's spanking you and you're starting to make some really intense sounds every time you get a strike and they might say, give me a colour. And you say, green. Because it might look like I want to stop because I'm saying, fuck, every time that you (laughs) hit me. But I might love that and I might want to go beyond that. And for someone else to say, fuck, it's actually like, well, I've gone past my limit. So you know, for some people, they like to play with something called consensual non-consent, which means that with a no does not mean no all of a sudden. Yeah. I actually want to play with that energy of I'm resisting and you're still going to ravish me. You're still going to take me over that place. Yeah. So I could be saying, no, stop, don't. And actually all of that's an indication. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Mm-hmm. So the safe words are these extra symbols. And if you can't talk because your mouth is bound or you become non-verbal in that transcendent space then there can also be signs that you could make it could be sounds you could hold something in your hand that you could drop mid-scene okay then we know we could maybe remove the thing that's covering our mouth or in our mouth we can do a little check in mid-scene sometimes you might if you get an orange and you say okay just at my edge it might just be a minute say how are you going how are you feeling I'm good that just I was there, okay, and we're going to redirect the energy slightly and we're going to keep going, but we're just going to make these little adjustments. If you're bound in rope and you're like, I'm actually just feeling quite a lot of discomfort in my left shoulder, Mm -hmm. okay, let's untie you gently, safely. We're going to move your arm. We're going to release that part. Are you happy to continue? And then we go, oh, yeah, actually, as soon as I felt that relief in my shoulder, I've still got another 30, 45 minutes in me. Or it might be this this thing is just too, I need to get out now. Mm -hmm. Like I'm at my edge. So they're just these, again, incredible communication skills to, to, to be really attuned to each other's needs. And you like to have that emotional attunement with someone who's intuitive, it takes it to the next level, but it will never replace the safety that negotiation consent and safe word brings. So it should always have those elements. 
I just really love the importance of communication in the BDSM world. And I think that it's honestly something that we could all do to learn more about, you know, communicating clearly before, during and after sex. It's just, it's wild that so many people, you know, I've had so many clients that tell me like, oh yeah, I didn't really like when they were doing that. I'm like, okay, cool. What did you say? Oh, nothing. But I kind of like, I wiggled a little bit. I'm like, that's not enough. Like we can't rely on these non-verbal cues. We can't even rely necessarily on just like these verbal cues, like you were saying, like, oh, like I, I winced or I made a, a noise. Like that's not enough. We do need to be so much more clear and we need to ask and we need to share. And I just feel like BDSM really gives you this toolkit and this framework of like, you have to, otherwise we're not doing this, right? Yes. And, you know, they're brand new neural pathways that we're forming. If you've never spoken your sexual desires, That's why the words get trapped in your mouth because you haven't actually formed the neurology to use your body and your language in that sense. So what I usually do with my clients and my friends is I recommend having these conversations without the pressure of being in a scene, just practice. Yeah. You know, like this is something that I really enjoyed that my dominant did to me all the time was you like, tell me, say it out loud. And I'll be like, you know, like, (laughs) oh God, I'm saying, oh God, I'm such a whore for wanting that. And he'd be like, say it (laughs) and what he'd often do is like repeat after me and then he'd say it and then I'd be like blah 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 and he'd like say it again (laughs) blah 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 and he'd be like say it again and I'm like oh (laughs) so it had the the joy of submission in it but he knew what he was doing he was leading me into the confidence to use my words knowing that I'd been blocked in that way so Another fantastic thing that you can do, and I would recommend for everyone getting into this world, is practice using your safe word. Practice using it before the scene even begins. Have your partner grab your arm firmly and that you then say red. And feel them stop and have that, start to embody that experience that it's safe for me to say no. How many of us have not said no because we're afraid? We go into a fawn response where we just want to please or we're scared of the societal consequences And so we've had all these negative associations with actually expressing our boundaries and expressing our needs or we've asked for something and we've been told we're too much or we're shamed or people think we're fucking disgusting. Why would you want that? And all of a sudden it's like, I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to share my inner world with someone because it's not safe. Yeah. And so when we have these environments where it's like, okay, let's have a safe somatic experience of expressing myself and my boundaries and my negotiations and my safe words then in the heat of the moment when there's so much more pressure and there's so much happening that we have the confidence and the lived experience of expressing ourselves actually I watched it was just a little Instagram thing today and she had said I don't care if we're laying in bed and he's hard and he's got the condom on and he's ready to go and then I say no because no means no it's like, yeah, when someone else's energy is built up like that, you know, like if I think about SM, you know, you've got the sadist and the masochist, the person that loves to receive pain and the person that loves to inflict pain, Mm -hmm. like they're very intense primal states. And if you build up all that energy inside you and then someone goes red, that's a lot of self-mastery to be able to contain that and to be okay with that and respect that partner and still, okay, I need, just give me a second and I need to go and fucking scream and just purge this energy out of me so that so that we can come back down together because yeah. someone's reached their limit. So it's, it can be really hard to say no 
when you can feel that build up when you can feel that person's desire when you've been building towards something and now you're like fuck no I really can't yeah. and then what do we do in society we just please everyone we just become the good girl and we're like okay fuck I'll just disregard my own boundaries for this minute just and no 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 but then no, afterwards safe place to man exactly yeah. the consequences of that the burden that we put on our own shoulders yeah plus I know if I said yes to something that I didn't really want my partner would be angry mm. he wouldn't want to have done something to me I didn't want you know like and as a submissive I would have had a punishment (laughs) I would have had a punishment that was designed to help me develop that for example he might have said I want you to write an essay I want at least an A4 typed page essay of why it's important that you never disregard your own boundaries again oh my goodness and until then you're not allowed to come oh wow amazing isn't it exactly the personal development side of bdsm that i love and i might say i used to call my partner daddy and that's a whole nother conversation like what it takes to get to the place where you're okay to use the word daddy yeah i'd say daddy i really want to get back into my daily meditation and he would be like i'm happy to support you in that so if you don't meditate daily and check in with me and send me a text when you've successfully meditated then i'm gonna stop you from I'm going to take time out and you're not allowed to orgasm for however many days or you're not allowed to, you know, like he would just tease me in some way to create some sort of negative consequence yeah. or I'm not going to give you a spanking until you've had 10 six, six, uh, success. What's that word? Uh, consecutive. <laughs> you're not, yeah. yeah, I'm not going to give you that until you've had 10. Yeah. And then you get your spanking, which is a reward and not a punishment. <laughs> I love that. Oh my gosh, that's such an interesting way. Like, what a fucking motivator. <laughs> yeah. So, my girlfriends and I even play with this energy as well, other submissives that, uh, especially if we don't have someone providing the active dominance in our life. And when you have, when you recognize it's a need and your submissive cup gets empty, it's really, it's, oh, it's an emptiness that it's hard to manage. And so, we will be like, like today, I was sitting in the bath. And she texted me and said, what is your bliss assignment for today? How are you choosing to spend your day? Because we both said we need to focus more on our joy. And, you know, she's checking in and saying, here's your assignment for today. You must perform these many things that will bring you bliss. And, you know, like I might say to her next time I see her, get on your knees, put your hands behind your back, open your legs. Now tell me. And like just mm. that physicality of like, oh my God, I'm exposed, I'm vulnerable, I'm submissive. And then I could say, now tell me, like, let me think of something that might help her develop. Why is it important that you put your own needs first? Mm-hmm. You know, and then, you know, reiterate these neural pathways and, and create, not only am I topping up her submissive cup at that time by giving her somewhere, if you're a spiritual person in any kind of way, if you have a devotional or a bhakti heart, the like I can't even begin to explain to you what it means to have somewhere to put it where Mm. it's actually respected so many of us go into relationships where we devote ourselves to the the wrong person and we get we get told that we're needy we get told that we're too much we get told that we're too demanding we get told that we're a people pleaser and we can misunderstand or misinterpret what it is but if we have this inherent desire to be submissive but that's applied to the right person who recognizes it for what it is, who values your beautiful devotional heart. They will receive your submission and they will pour dominance back into your cup. So that's where the power exchange comes from. 
So when I see her and she has this beautiful bhakti heart, then it's very easy for me and that switchy element of myself to step into that position over her in some physical way Mm. and acknowledge her for that and honour her for that and, and start to, you know, pour my energy back into her cup in return. And that's just something that I've really, really enjoyed doing in my friendships while I'm in this window where I don't have a current dominant. Oh, so interesting. I love that. That's such a, again, another really fascinating perspective shift of how you can, yeah, use BDSM for so much more than just the sexual kind of perspective that we're used to. Have you seen the show on Netflix called Cheer with the cheerleaders? I haven't. Oh my God, it's so good. It's a, on my list. It's a reality. Yeah. yeah. They've gone and looked at these kids and are watching them perform. Yeah. But of course, I look through the my world lens and I'm looking for dominance and submission. And they have this coach who is so dominant. And she's dominant in all the right healthy ways. And these kids thrive under her dominance they have such respect one of them said I would take a bullet for Monica like the way that she shows up to get the best out of these kids there's another girl with an injury and she walks over to the medical team and is like did you help her and she's like yeah I told her to ice it every 15 minutes and the coach is like that's not going to work for her she's like get your phone out we're going to put the reminders in that every 15 minutes you need to ice. It's like she knew how to modify for each person that this if you tell this girl just to ice her ankle every 15 minutes she will never do it she's going to injure herself more that's going to impact the team and I thought oh my god that is such healthy dominance that is and just to see these kids who come from the wrong side of the tracks absolutely excel under the guise under the the guidance of healthy dominance like the world needs it that we have so much toxic unhealthy dominance present on the planet at this time which is why we resist it so much because for most of us any experience that we've had of dominance in our early life is often abusive and non-consensual. So then we as women say, no, I'm not giving up my power. I'm not giving up my control. I don't trust anyone else. But if we had this kind of healthy leadership present on the planet, people who could lovingly guide and develop others with their dominance, that they would be fed by receiving the submission from others and they would feed others by providing that kind of guidance. Oh my God, the world would thrive. We would live on such a drastically different planet. I remember going to Hawaii with a number of my girlfriends and I was like, because I used to live in Hawaii and they'd all come to visit me and I'd be like, what are you guys doing today? And they're like, we don't know. And I'd be like, oh God, I don't want to be the tour guide. I had so much Mm. resistance. I was like, you guys choose. Where do you want to go for breakfast? Like, And once I moved into this world of BDSM and I understood dominance and submission, I looked back and I was like, oh my God, they're submissive, Erin. That's all. There's nothing wrong with them. They're not, they just respond well to leadership. And so now if I was in the same boat again, I'd recognize, all right, girls, it's our fifth day in Hawaii. What do you want to do? What do you want to experience? What do you do? Okay, I'm deciding. We're all going to be in the car at 10. Make sure that you bring your swimsuits and a towel and your sunscreen. We're going to eat lunch at this point. So bring some cash here. If anyone needs cash, we'll get on the way. Meet you at the car in 10. (laughs) Do you know how much of a better experience we all would have had because I could no longer be resentful about taking a leadership role but I could actually enjoy taking a leadership role and they would have thrived underneath that so I think there's just so many of us living our life in that way without uh, a healthy leadership that we really want and need 
Mm-hmm. And if we could find healthy ways or utilize BDSM in order to do this, our lives would be so much better off for it. I think that that's such a such a powerful way of looking at it because dominance and submission, like let's sort of remove the sexual sort of side, but mm-hmm. just the words dominant and submissive, they have such like strong connotations that mm-hmm. being dominant is bad and you're an asshole and you're controlling, but being submissive is weak, empathetic and rare and all of these things. Exactly. And then, you know, I think that there are parallels here with the energies and the energetics of masculine and feminine and yin and yang and all of those sort of um, the polarities here. Mm-hmm. We need one to have the other they're so important and there's they're not like anything can be you know the embodied version or the toxic version right yes the shadow but what you're talking about is this perspective that these are actually really really healthy and necessary polarities and sides of the poles that if we harness them properly they can be super healing and powerful and wonderful yes that's such a good I'm so glad you brought that up because I think a lot of people are going to relate to that that was an early trigger that I had too Mm. but what I understand about submission now is it's so powerful it takes so much personal power to offer your submission to someone else to truly surrender to let go of control it's not a powerless state in the slightest Mm -hmm. and a good and healthy dominant respects that and understands that and loves the power that you wield as a submissive and has so much I remember that first dominant I was connecting with she was a female and she was like she may be underneath my boot but she's never underneath me Mm. (laughs) there was such respect for what it takes for a woman to submit in this world where we have been unsafe for so long where we have been at the hands of what I would call domineering energy. It's not dominant, it's domineering. That's mm. where it's about me and what I want at any cost. And I'm going to fucking trample everything in front of me to get what I want. That's what we see in big business and governments all over the planet at this time. And then that filters down to the household. You know, every layer of society has that domineering energy, which is so destructive. Dominance, healthy, the light aspect, the powerful aspects. Uh, the divine aspects of this energy is something very very different and it's a wonderful thing to experience and I want to sort of frame this from the perspective of femininity so femininity Mm -hmm. is like a theme that I really really love working with and of course everybody who's familiar with my work and my podcast knows that when I talk about femininity it's not necessarily for women but I want to sort of make this correlation between women feeling really disconnected to their femininity and subsequently feeling uncomfortable with being quote-unquote submissive because they feel that that is a weak energy or they have to show up they have to be equal to men and there's a very different like energy between equal and like equity and equality and equity but I think that that holds us back so much where we might recognize that we are naturally submissive, but we don't allow ourselves to do that and to play with that energy because we have these misconceptions of what it means to be a submissive person or what it means to be a feminine person or what it means to be a woman. Yes, and any kind of childhood patterning that we had where we were submissive that was abusive or hurtful to us. 
the irony of this entire thing is that identifying and owning my submissiveness has made me the biggest feminist. It has given me so much personal power and so much passion to support women all over the planet to find their power. It's so ironic to me that it was through a cis, het, white man 20 years older than me. (laughs) (laughs) All the things we're meant to dislike. (laughs) Everything that had also caused me pain in in other areas of my life was the very thing that truly, truly, truly helped me find my power. I understand and I have a lot of compassion for that wounding that we carry as the feminine and the thousands of years that this has been in place that has contributed to the experiences that we have now and who we are now. But I feel, and when I teach my sexuality course, I feel like we are at the forefront of a global change. And for us to have these kind of conversations, for us to to express ourselves as you and I get to express ourselves in the online world safely and confidently without being stoned to death, without being disowned by our families. Like it's showing that the world is changing and I feel so privileged to be on the forefront of that change and to have the sexual empowerment that I have and be able to teach the sexual empowerment that I teach. And I see it as my duty to every other woman on the planet who does not yet have that freedom. But as I own and claim this part of myself in healthy and conscious and divine ways, that I'm also leading the way and demonstrating for other women what's truly possible. There will be women who in this lifetime do not get these privileges that we have. And yet I still believe we're contributing to the betterment of their lives or their daughter's lives or their daughter's daughter's lives by the work that we're doing here today. And healthy BDSM I see as part of that because it is a negotiated power exchange it's consensual it's respectful it requires you to voice your consent no one's taking anything from you and it's just so drastically different it requires a lot of mental commitment to work through the stuff to work through the conditioning the layers of societal stuff that we've picked up and why we need to feel like when I think about feminine and the feminine energy and the nature of the feminine energy is that uncontained wild force and then the, the masculine polarity is the container and the form. So it doesn't matter whether we're in a female body or a male body, we can play with those energies in this way. So when we don't have that containment from the healthy masculine in our life, then we as the feminine learn how to contain ourselves in a certain way to protect ourselves. And that's valid and necessary and absolutely okay. Sometimes we go a bit too far and we can, we can let go of some of that control. But until you have that healthy containment, then you won't really know what it's like to surrender. Because like, like I said at the, at the beginning of our conversation, I need to know that that person can handle all of me. I need to know that that person can lead me better than I lead myself. I have my shit together. I'm powerful, I'm successful. (laughs) I need to know that you've got me, that I'm safe, that I truly can let down every wall, every piece of armour, every mask that I've I've been forced to develop in this world as a woman. And when that energy is provided, then it becomes safe to become more feminine than we've ever been, which means that we no longer are trying to hold up both ends of our own polarity. We no longer, even if it's just in the moment for the scene, 
that we are relieved of that burden of having to hold that up in the world because someone else is holding it in that way for us. And that's where my feminism came from, is like, oh, my God, look what happens when I get to go all the way to the end of my own spectrum. Like, I'm a fantastic man. I have an amazing masculine inside of me, which kind of makes a lot of men on the planet redundant for me because I'm like, eh. (laughs) <laughs> like right. you just unfortunately do not bring what I need. Yeah, I can do it myself. Bloody spectacular! Yeah, because yeah, I can sort my shit out by myself. So. <laughs> so how amazing that someone comes in and says, "Well, look at this, and let me create this much of this energy, and you can let that down and go to that feminine place inside of yourself." And that's even for men. Go to that place of uncontained, like where you are uncontained. And someone else is containing you. It's, oh my God. I think I, I can see in a woman who's been fucked like that. Now we're not talking about sex specifically, but if you take that to a sexual place and you completely let go, it radically changes who you are and how you walk through the world. And I can see the women that are like, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm surrendered or I let go or I'm submissive. And it's still a surface level of that experience. And that's totally fine. There's no judgment of that. But if you want to go to the depth of this game, if you want to go right to the deepest, deepest part of the forest, oh, my God, it's a surrender. It's a, a submission. It's divine. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even put words to it, Eleanor. It's just so transformative. Thank you so much. I I have loved this conversation. I'm sure everybody listening has had their little minds blown um, by the way that you've presented what BDSM is and how powerful it can be. So I appreciate you so much for coming on and chatting to us. It means the world. Thank you for saying that. It is one of my greatest passions to, it took me so much to get into this world. And now that I'm here and I understand it, I'm like, please let me help you make this path so much easier than mine. Come in at my level. Let me just be your introduction so you don't have to start from the bottom and go through a lot of stuff that doesn't feel right. You know, my expression doesn't mean anything for anyone else's expression. I'm just really passionate about helping others find their unique expression. And like my personal opinion, Eleanor, is that we're all a little bit kinky. When someone comes to me and they're completely vanilla, which is, you know, the most common term that we use for someone that's not kinky, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way whatsoever, but for someone that doesn't express any of this, my inclination is like, you've got some exploring to do, girlfriend, because I'm pretty sure that in this whole wide forest of eroticism that exists, I could help you find something that you find appealing, that you find relieving, that you find enticing. But for some people, it's that journey is too big and and not something that they're willing to take on and they're going to be happy with just a vanilla sexual connection for the rest of their life but for those that are willing to explore and have that courage to go and face themselves there is so much to be found like there's just everything becomes erotic essentially that was kind of my my ethos with my previous partner our love and our trust was so oh god I still have a lot of grief inside of me for letting go of a relationship that met me deeper than I ever even realized that I could be met. Mm -hmm. So when I go to parts of the forest again, that he's no longer there with me, there's a lot of sadness and I feel the rawness of that loss because it was just so profound. 
but it almost became like a game for he and I that no matter what we came across in the forest, it would be erotic because it was me and him. You know, it's not something that I would do with 99.9999999% of people on the planet, but with he and I, we were like, let's let's make this erotic let's make everything that we encounter about ourselves and every single archetype of who we are and every part of our nature erotic so before we wrap up this epic conversation do you have any final resources for people who are like yep cool I definitely want to explore whether they're solo or in a partnership particularly how do they get started aside from kind of going into the communities what I did, because my, my community here in Bali is limited, so we don't have the level of experience mm-hmm. or exposure that you might get in a big city elsewhere in the world. And I had that intuitive knowing that I walked into the community, I was like, this is not it. <laughs> like, I know this can be so much more. <laughs> so what I did was I consumed as much education as I could, and that radically changes you because once you start educating yourself about what it could be, what it looks like, how it's performed, it helps you set your standards. It helps you oh, that's what I'm looking for in dominant. That's what I'm looking for in a submissive. That's how I want to express my submissiveness. That's how I want to express my dominance. Oh, I found that thing kinky and sexy and I didn't think that I would. (laughs) So there's some fantastic books out there. Probably the most famous books would be the new topping book and the new bottoming book. And even though I identify as mostly submissive, I gained so much from reading about dominance because it helped me understand, oh, that's what a good dominant would do. That's what how they would express themselves or ask for what they want or negotiate, whatever it might be. By those authors, there's another book also called Radical Ecstasy, and that's about the transcendent spiritual experiences available to us through BDSM. So that's less commonly known book by them, but still my (laughs) favourite. And then there's just so many other books online, but that is just the most amazing place to start because it will really help you understand how to show up, what to look for, how it's expressed. They're basically the the Bibles, you know, the ABC of stepping into BDSM. I love that. And I will put those in the show notes as well for everybody. Erin, it's been such a pleasure. I adore you and I your work you. and <laughs> and your mind and your laugh as well. So thank you for <laughs> Thank you, which is why I always say laugh loud and fuck louder. <laughs> yeah. Do not hold back. <laughs> You're amazing. Before you head off to listen to another episode, I want to tell you about my six-week course called Embodied. I have had so many people asking me to teach more online because you're all missing out on my in-person workshops. So I've got you. Embodied is an online experience which will help you to drop into your most sensual self. Through video lessons, curated exercises, workbooks and guided meditations, along with weekly live group coaching sessions with me, we'll explore how to truly feel embodied from the inside out. Each week, we'll dive into a new topic to help you connect deeper with yourself, your pleasure, and your loved ones. We'll explore themes such as self-inquiry and deconditioning, the energetics of feminine and masculine polarity, menstrual cycle awareness, self-intimacy and self-pleasure, sex and orgasm, of course, and relationships and communication. This course is an intensive exploration in my favorite topics to teach and to help you unlock your inner sensualista. Waitlist students will receive bonus content plus priority enrollment. To get yourself on the waitlist, 
head to thesensualityacademy.com slash embodied hyphen waitlist or simply find the link in the episode description and show notes. I cannot wait for you to join me. Let's get embodied.